This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Tim Kapan from Bloomberg in a two-part series on the most impactful news affecting Asia. In the first part of our conversation, we analyze the background and conclusion to the Toshiba chip unit deal and why Apple and Foxconn are drawn into this bidding war. Hi, Tim. Bernard, good to see you. Good to see you. I'm seated in Bloomberg Singapore office. Yes, welcome to our bureau. I know you've, uh, you live in Singapore, but this is the first time you visited our bureau. We're lucky to have you. Yes, I have always been an admirer of the company Bloomberg. And I'm talking to Tim Kapan, columnist at Bloomberg Gadfly, someone who I read very religiously. So I want to start off by asking you, since our last conversation about the Apple supply chain, what have you been up to? You're too kind to follow me religiously. Gee, there's been a lot going on since we last spoke. There's been things happening at HTC, Toshiba, SoftBank, the Vision Fund. We're going to speak about all of those today. Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent have been very busy. I know you recently spoke to my colleague Andy Mukherjee about what's going on in India. It's been really a very, very busy year for, for Asia technology. There's M&A deals, there's all sorts of earnings, investment scandals. It's, it's really been crazy. And at Gadfly, we've been trying to analyze all of that pull it apart, have an opinion and tell people what to think about it. So uh, it hasn't been a boring year this year, I tell you that much. I think it's a very exciting year because I was spending at least two hours watching the TSMC 30th anniversary. That was a fascinating event, true, yeah. true. And TSMC is, is a fascinating company. We've spoken about them before and uh, I'm sure we'll speak about them again because uh, TSMC is going to become more and more important. Yeah, it, I think it was only on the Apple rumors I picked up what Jeff Williams would say, but there was a CEO of Qualcomm, there was a CEO yes. of Nvidia, and there is the CEO of Arm. I was like, these are all stellar people in semicon industries. Why aren't people talking about what they say there? Well, what is interesting, I mean, there's really only one person in the world that could get that that host of that group of people together on stage together, and that is Morris Chung, the godfather of Taiwan Semiconductor Industry. And yeah, Jeff Williams on stage, he's the COO of Apple. He's really in charge of the supply chain, and he is in the role that Tim Cook was in before Tim Cook became CEO, you know, taking over from Steve Jobs. So Jeff Williams has a a very interesting and tough job now, right now as we speak, trying to get the iPhone 10 running, uh, you know, getting the supply chain moving and get more of those churned out. We're speaking now, uh, you know, early November 2017 and, uh, you know, the iPhone 10 has just launched. But what was interesting with Jeff Williams on stage at the TSMC anniversary was that he came out and was very public and very open about the relationship with TSMC. And if you missed it, for, for any of our listeners who missed it, he basically got on stage and admitted and laid out how Apple and TSMC got together. And one of the issues there was that initially Apple didn't really want to, to go all in with, with TSMC. It was a bit of a risk. TSMC had been wanting to work with Apple, but Apple had been having their processes, their mobile processes made by Samsung for quite a few years and were kind of sharing with TSMC. But Jeff Williams pointed out that they decided to go all in with TSMC, as he said, and TSMC in return turned around and spent something like, I think he said, nine billion US dollars to build a factory in Tainan in southern Taiwan with 6,000 engineers. And that was all kind of stuff that we'd known about with his rumor and gossip, but for Apple to come out on the record and say very publicly, 
you know, the depth of the relationship between the two companies, I think was very telling. And uh, if anyone missed uh, that 30th anniversary uh, on-stage event, I think it's on TSMC's website, so you could probably go there and, and listen further. It is very fascinating. Yeah, I enjoyed the two-hours video conversation, and I, I will put a link to it. But before I get to the main topic, because I know I'm going to get you at least to talk two parts. So the <laughs> first part is going to be about Toshiba deal, and then the second part will be about SoftBank's Vision Fund, because that's everybody's interest in Asia at the moment. I wanted to ask your opinion. What happened with the Google and HTC deal? Well, this is a fascinating story. You know, people who've followed my work know that I've looked at HTC very, very closely for, for more than a decade, frankly. So what basically has happened is that Google is buying a team from HTC, their smartphone team. People may be aware that HTC you know, has been in trouble for quite a few years. They've been losing money for quite a long time. But they do make smartphones, and they make pretty good smartphones. And then on the flip side of that is that Google has decided to go all in on smartphones. For quite a few years, they were doing Nexus phones. And really, the Nexus model was to go to various manufacturers such as HTC or Asus Tech and other makers and say, you know, what have you got? Let's, let's you know, bring out a co-branded phone. And so it'd be, you know, a Google Nexus phone with HTC or Asus or whatever. But then with Pixel, which is the new series of phones, it's really been designed from the ground up by Google. So Google's decided to double down and really go deep into hardware and really want to make a go of it. And to that end, they've decided that they want more engineers of their own. So they basically went and paid $1.2 billion to buy a team from HTC. And, uh, you know, if you look at it from HTC's point of view, they get paid $1.2 billion to fire a whole lot of people because these are staff that they don't have to pay for anymore. And they're losing money, so they really do need to cut their headcount. On the surface, it sounds like a good deal, but the other question is, well, who's going to be left at HTC? And this is where it gets a little bit tricky because Google's kind of implying that they bought out the whole you know, HTC smartphone development team. And HTC's turning around and saying, well, actually, they only bought some of it. We've still got other people left and we're still going to make smartphones. I predict that probably within about two years, so, you know, we're talking uh, November 2017, so maybe by, you know, November 2019, I would not be surprised if there is no longer HTC-branded smartphones in the market. They may be going back to OEM work purely, or they may get out of the smartphone business altogether. But it looks to me like HTC is setting themselves up to exit the HTC-branded smartphone business over the next year or two. And Google has snapped up a lot of the engineers that they need for for doing that process. You know, HTC gets a lot of cash, but they've also been hollowed out. So what's really going to be interesting is what's next for HTC. Part of it is Vive, their VR project. I'm very bearish on that. I really, I'm I'm quite sceptical that they can really make a go of it. It's going to be a very competitive business. But you know what? Let's, Let's keep an eye out and see what happens. Okay, then we better come to the main subject of the day, the Toshiba deal, because... I have been very patient about this. We waited until the buyer is decided. Yes. So for listeners, Bernard had been coming to me for quite a while saying, let's talk about Toshiba. And I'm like, not yet, because we don't know what's happening yet. Because what's interesting is that it looked like uh, there was one consortium that got the deal. They'd signed a memorandum of understanding. Everything was fine. Then Western Digital, who kind of has a joint cooperation with Toshiba, but it wasn't a direct cooperation because Toshiba bought a company called SanDisk, And SanDisk was the one that had the joint venture with Toshiba. And Western Digital buying SanDisk meant that Western Digital felt that it had the joint venture and it had legal rights. Look, it gets very complicated. I won't go into it too much. But the point being that 
the closing of this deal between Toshiba and the buyer didn't really happen. It got delayed. They sent it back. That gave the opportunity for other consortia to come in and kind of bid up again and rebid and throw it all open. And it was getting very messy. And there was a lot of you know leaks to media, including us and, and others from various sides, Western Digital, Toshiba, Foxconn. Everybody was kind of having their say publicly behind the scenes. Finally, uh, you know, as we speak now, it looks like the, the deal has been done. Bain, which is a private equity company, has signed a, a, a deal to, to take over a minority of Toshiba's chip unit. Not not all of Toshiba, just the chip unit. Toshiba, in a, a brilliant move of, of kind of financial jujitsu, manages to hold on to more than 40%. And then they bring in a little-known company called Hoya, who takes a significant minority stake, in, only in a single-digit percentage. But in doing so, Hoya plus Toshiba managed to control the company. And Bain, which was kind of taking over, actually only gets to hold on to a minority. But Toshiba gets a whole lot of cash. So at the end of the day, Toshiba did a brilliant move. And Bain, well, they can boast that they won. They beat they beat competitors such as KKR, which is another private equity firm. Foxconn was in there. And they tried very, very hard to get in on the deal, but they also failed. And uh, it does look like that is the final deal that will go through. But you know what? If, if something changes in the next six months... I won't be too surprised. Okay, now I'm going to walk it back because there's a lot of drama behind this deal. So can you give an overview of Toshiba and the chip unit which they have been trying to sell it? So basically, they didn't want to sell it. It is kind of the crown jewel of Toshiba. I mean, people may be aware that Toshiba is essentially a conglomerate. You know, it's got a few different areas. They do white goods that, that a lot of people are aware of. Toshiba white goods... Uh, mostly sold in Japan, but they are elsewhere in the world. But, you know, then there's also another division, which is basically they nu- they make nuclear power stations. Nu- they have nuclear power technology. And over a decade ago, they bought a company called Westinghouse. And through that deal, they agreed to help actually build some power stations in the United States. And with the benefit of hindsight, it was a terrible deal because they were on the hook for any delays or over costs of, of building these two power stations in the United States. And that was a very unusual deal. Usually they would just contract to do one part of a power station, but they really decided to take on the whole task themselves or at least guarantee it. it the cost overruns basically meant that there was a lot of costs. And cut a long story short, the whole thing went bankrupt. And that meant that you know, this this nuclear energy or nuclear power arm of Toshiba was, you know, worth nothing or even negative. And so Toshiba suddenly was in the hole uh, on their balance sheet and they needed to plug that hole. And the executives of Toshiba, the board and the executives are looking around going, how do we plug this hole? We have to sell something. We have to have to raise money somehow. And the only thing of value that they could sell was the chip unit. And the chip unit makes NAND flash memory and, uh, you know, that's the memory that you use in, you know, your iPhone or, or various other types of um, solid-state drives. And it's good technology. And not many companies do this. Uh, Samsung is the most famous and the biggest that does this. But SK Hynix is another. There's a few Taiwanese that do this. But, you know, Toshiba, it's kind of that once-in-a-lifetime chance for these bidders to get a chance to buy into hand flash memory. So, of course, everyone, everybody wanted a, a part of it. And Toshiba didn't actually want to sell it. They just had to. It was, a, it was a fire sale. They had to sell it because if they didn't plug this hole, then they'd get delisted and there'd be all sorts of other implications for the overall Toshiba business. And so that why, that's why they had to sell it. And that's how we got into this process of, of them you know, playing off various suitors against each other. Wow. 
why is the Toshiba chip unit such an asset that attracted so many bidders? There are private equity funds, yeah. Apple is involved, Foxconn yeah. is involved, and I'm sure there are many other smaller players also involved as well. NAND flash memory is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's in every smartphone. It's more and more in notebook computers. There's really two types of drives. One is a spindle drive, which is the traditional type of drive. But more and more notebooks, computers use uh, flash memory. And then flash memory is also being built into, I mean, even servers, all sorts of areas. It's just everywhere. And it's basically the type of, of memory chip that stores data. So it would store your photos, your videos, and so forth. And demand for this will only keep on go- growing, right? There's, there's no real belief that this is an industry that will fall off. The, the demand will keep rising. But it is a very capital-intensive business, and it also is also a very uh, technology-intensive business. Uh, semiconductor technology moves very, very quickly, and so you have to have great technology and a lot of capital expenditure to keep up. Because it's essentially a commodity, it's, a co- it's an economies of scale business, which means that if you've got the bigger factories and the best technology, you can churn out more of these chips at a cheaper price. And that's what it comes down to. If you can do the better product at a cheaper price, you'll sell more or get better margins. And if, you, if you're not keeping up, then you'll, you'll go out of business or you'll lose a lot of money. And Toshiba is, is doing quite well in that business. But then there's a lot of companies, such as Apple, who want to get supply. They want to get control. Apple buys lots of flash memory chips every year. And Foxconn uh, also wanted to get involved. They bought Sharp last year, as we know. And and Foxconn wants to buy more and more uh, component supplies because they want to get more and more involved in you know, supplying all of the components that go into a device. So Foxconn wanted to get involved. And then the private equity guys, they see, well... It's kind of a distressed asset if we go in and buy it now and we, you know, we save some costs and, and kind of turn it around a little bit. Maybe five years later we can flip it. We can you know, list it again and make money and make a nice exit. And then there's companies like Western Digital who see it as a strategic asset. They want access to the technology. They want access to the supply because Western Digital makes the hard drives. So they buy the chips to go into their own products. So there's a lot of different companies that really felt, wow, we would love to have a chance at this. And as I say, it's not very often that a flash chip maker comes up for sale. And so it was one of those rare opportunities for all of these suitors to have a chance at it. And that's why it became very, very popular. So what's the chronology of this whole acquisition since Toshiba announced it? And why has it attracted so much media attention? I mean, one part of it is because the leaks came out to the media, mm. others, such as Bloomberg. But how, how did that happen? Well, I mean, it really started about a year ago. It started at the end of 2016 when we started to learn about the problems in the nuclear business and the massive uh, costs and losses that it would be to Toshiba, you know, the parent company. And then we started to realise, well, they're going to have to, you know, do something about it. So earlier in 2017, we got an idea and then they did publicly state that they were looking into basically options for Toshiba memory, TMC as they call it, which essentially meant selling it off. Uh, that was the main option, and that, that ended up being the option. By summer this year, so about by June, July, they decided on the, the major bidder. They decided that uh, the Bain, they were the, the kind of the favoured suitor, and they would continue negotiations with them. And in theory, they wouldn't negotiate with others. But Western Digital got very angry about that and felt that they should have you know, the, the right of first refusal. 
and Toshiba hit back and said, no, you don't. And there's some you know, legal cases going on. They threatened to sue. They did sue. And a lot of that was played out through you know, courts, through media, both publicly through media, through media statements, and also you know, telling people behind the scenes what they were going to do. And so it really played out essentially between around you know, May, June of 2017 this year through to you know, just a couple of months ago when finally they said, okay, you know, Bain is the final bidder. And it does look like pretty much all the others have, have decided to accept that deal and are not going to pursue. Western Digital may still do something there and Toshiba is going to have to work out how to deal with, with Western Digital because there could still be a legal fight and Western Digital could delay that process. But by by look of it right now, I think uh, I think the deal is done, and I don't think the the legal fight will continue too much. Just before the Bain consortium was selected, who are the three key bidders of the Toshiba chip unit, and what's the motivation within each one of them to get this deal done? I can see what where Bain is coming from. They are private equity firm. Mm. They just want to, to what, what you say, make a some cost cutting, get a quick flip in a few years time. Yeah. What about the other two? I would say KKR are very similar. Private equity tend to have a pretty you know, standard business model. So I think KKR and Bain were, were very much in the same mould. And in both cases, they brought in outside consortium members. To, it wasn't just them. They, they would bring someone else in. For example, you know, the Bain, the winning bid, has Apple on board. You know, they have SK Hynix on board as well. And this, in each case, there was always a Japanese name in there because you know the Japanese are very you know patriotic and nationalistic and if you try to be you know a foreigner or an outsider trying to buy this Japanese asset without any Japanese involved then it'd be very hard to get it past the board of Toshiba or regulators or the government which was getting involved so they always had you know a, a Japanese name in there and then there was Foxconn and Foxconn's motivations was quite different and theirs was really about having a strategic asset and they were also, Foxconn was also working with Apple. So Apple Apple's was actually in two consortia, the Bain consortium and the Foxconn consortium. So they were kind of playing both sides there. And really why Foxconn would want the deal is because by getting access to, to flash chips and they could sell that onto their, their clients and they could be basically a one-stop shop. So if you are Apple or if you were, say, Dell or, or anyone else or, or Sony or anyone doing any kind of device, you could say, all right, I can assemble it for you. I can also supply the, the screen because I have Sharp. I can supply the flash chips, which you'll need. You can cost down. You can add value, all those things. So the more parts of you know the, the pie, more ingredients in the pie that Foxconn has, you know, the, the better it can be for them in terms of growing their size and offering a better deal. So Foxconn was very strategic. The other two, I think, was a bit more financial. The fact that Apple is actually part of the coalition with two out of three bidders, I assume the third bidder, they have no involvement. Why is that so? What is Apple's interest in this chip unit? They could have bought it outright by themselves, right? I think Apple could have. They've certainly got the money. Without a doubt, they could afford to. But I think strategically, it made sense for them to have others involved to spread not only the financial risk, but to make sure there was buy-in from other parts of the business. Dell is also in that consortium, I should point out. So it's Apple, Dell, SK Hynix, a couple of Japanese you know, financial institutions. And, and Toshiba itself is, is also holding on to its stake. So it's not part of the consortium, but Toshiba manages to hold on to, you know, it, it's part of uh, the company. Apple's reason, first one, uh, the obvious one is they want to have guaranteed supply. 
when they started doing the iPhone, you know, a decade ago, they did a long-term deal with Samsung to get supply of flash memory chips for the iPhone. Without flash memory, the iPhone couldn't really function. And the iPhone now has, what, you know, 256 gigabytes of, of flash memory, I think 512 in the latest one, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a lot of memory. And they needed to be able to sh- know that every year, at, you know, September, they would have enough of them. But there's, an, there's a deeper reason that I think a lot of people don't realize. And that is that uh, Apple is going deeper and deeper into developing their own semiconductors. We know they've been doing their own processes for a long time, and, and we're talking about TSMC manufactures them for them. Apple designs that. And Apple has more uh, different types of chips as well. They've got a specific chip for the AirPods. They've got a specific chip for you know the watch. And so Apple actually designs quite a few of its own chips, mostly manufactured by TSMC. But in future, what I think we'll see three, five, seven years from now is that more and more functionality will be built into the processor. Right now, a processor is not just the core processor. You have other functionality, including DRAM. And I believe that in future, Apple will want to combine more of the flash functionality into the core processor, either in the processor itself or in, in what we call the package. And so by, by being part of Toshiba or owning a stake in Toshiba, they get access to the technology and what we call the roadmap, so the next few years of product development, and can help influence that and then use that technology and that know-how to help design their own chips. And so in future, a core processor in, the, in a smartphone, for example, or you know one of their you know, HomePod devices or whatever else they produce could have flash functionality built in or, or more intimately integrated with their own semiconductors. And that, I think, is the secondary reason for why Apple wanted to be part of it. They get the IP, they get the development, and they can then use that in their own processes. And I really think that's what it's going to be about in the future. But what about the other reason that they don't want to be held hostage by Samsung, which is actually the largest... Big, big reason, absolutely. Apple's been trying to cut Samsung out of its supply chain for a long time, as we speak now, you know, the iPhone X's been out for about a week. We, we've been hearing for the last few months about supply problems. OLED screens have been a problem. And guess who supplies them? Samsung, right? Samsung is the best at, at OLED screens right now. And Apple is really kind of on the hook for them. And if Apple can't, can't get enough from Samsung, then they're in trouble. If Samsung cannot supply enough or doesn't want to supply enough, well, guess what? Apple can't sell as many uh, smartphones because there's a supply problem. So it, would, it must very, very much annoy Apple to be so dependent on Samsung, but they don't have a choice. And so any area where Apple can develop their own technology and not rely on anybody else, not just Samsung, but anybody else, they will do that. And in fact, you know, I, I've reported this before, and I know for a fact that Apple is developing their own screen technology. They haven't done this before. They've relied on outside suppliers such as Samsung. But in the next few years, they will be developing their own screen technology and they will use outside suppliers to manufacture it for them. And I think, you know, five years from now, we will see Apple also doing its own screens or at least developing its own screen technology for someone else to manufacture for them. So it's really about cutting uh, the reliance on any third party when it comes to really critical components. We should someday do a podcast on Samsung and Apple's frenemy relationship. Yeah. Because they're on every front, whether it's the chip, whether it's the screen, and whether it's smartphones, they're very interdependent on each other. Yeah, and you throw in Qualcomm because, you know, they say my, my, my enemy's enemy is my friend, right? Um, 
Qualcomm and Apple are now in a legal dispute. Samsung and Qualcomm have had problems before, so you know it's that little triumvirate of the three of them. It's, it's quite a, a mixed up and messy legal situation, and I definitely think that that'll be something that we'll see more of in future. I think I should also point to the Bloomberg article recently that talks about the whole relationship behind Tim Cook and Jay Lee on talking about how they got onto this Qualcomm. Yeah, yeah, there's been some reports out that I definitely recommend people get online and read about it. It's a fascinating story. So, okay, coming back to the Toshiba deal, the end state now is the Toshiba only sold 49.9% to the Bain Consortium, with itself holding about 40.2%, and then Hoya owning another 9.9%. Right. So what's the end game going to be for each one of them? I think Hoya came in because they were asked to or invited to to be like the friend of, of Toshiba. And uh, they will probably make money either way, because if Toshiba, the chip unit, keeps making money, then Hoya gets you know, 9.9% of those profits. But if Bain then turns around and IPOs its stake, that would automatically give liquidity and, and value to Hoya's stake. And so they would get the upside from any IPO. Even if they don't necessarily sell their own stake directly, it might be just Bain Consortium selling its it's uh, 40-something percent of shares. Hoya would get a benefit from that. The upside for Toshiba is they get to basically you know, hold on to it. Instead of getting rid of the whole thing, they, they kind of get to have their cake and eat it too. And then, of course, Bain, as we're saying, they, they would get a chance to make some profits uh, in the next few years, uh, operating profits as they run the company, and then flip it in probably three, three, four, five years. Any chance that Toshiba will eventually buy out Bain? I think there's a very, 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 very good chance of that. I've, I've written a column on that basically saying that they didn't sell it. They basically uh, you know, made an option. They're, borrowing, they're lending it out. <laughs> I, I think that when everything's sorted out with the nuclear business, they've papered over those losses and filled the holes and turned things around and get some revenue again, and then they'll be able to go to Japanese banks who will be very eager to lend them money for, for nationalistic reasons, if not financial reasons. I can imagine that in a few years from now, Toshiba will go out to Bain and say, we want to buy out the rest of that stake, and, uh, and that'll, that's how it'll play out. Okay, we will stop here for a while, and then we will come back again and talk about the second part of the conversation on SoftBank Fusion Fund. Cool.